I'm thinking of a, a TOI. I'm thinking of you, you know. No, none of y'all. Okay. Um, y'all really need to love your wives with more compassion there, okay, for those of you who men. Um, so it is something deeper. It's not a thinking that is a general reasoning, but it is the attitude. It's a disposition. So what I'm trying to convey here is Paul is passionate for the Philippians. He has a desire for them. So the question would be, okay, you, you got me. He's, he's, it's only right for him to feel this way, to think this way about them all, to have this feeling because he has them in my heart. But why? Why? What formed them in his heart? What was this idea of, 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 of what was this cause, if you will? And he says here, since both in his imprisonment and in the defense of, or confirmation of the gospel, they are all partakers of God's grace with him. In other words, regardless of whatever I may have experienced, you were partakers with me. You were partakers with me. Church, you know, have you ever wondered, and I'm pretty sure you, you have at times, ever wonder what binds us close? What's going to bind us close? Do you think it's going to be our love of music? I can definitely say no, no, probably, probably not. You're probably going to like a different type of music than I like. You think it's going to be our clothing? You think it's going to be our politics? Let me tell you what's going to bind us. It's a mutual engagement in the experience of the grace of God. When a people who understand and have experienced God's grace upon their life, there is a binding of unity that far exceeds any external creaturely experience. Now, sure, we have statements of vision. Sure, vision is going to bring us close. We have statements of mission. I think being on the same mission is going to bring us close. We have statements of uh, value. I think us valuing the same things. And of course, we have statements of belief. What we believe is going to bring us unity. Uh, yes, so I am not throwing those out. I'm not saying that vision, mission, vision, and values and beliefs don't bring us close. But what I am saying is this. Now listen to me carefully. These vision, mission, values, beliefs, these are reflexive statements of people who are already bound together by something far greater than anything else. It's greater than being bound by similar purposes. It's greater than being bound by similar passions. And it's greater than being bound by similar personalities. It's bound by being partakers of grace. Because when a people understand that they have been accepted by grace and that the, that the foot of the cross is level for all, then there's a unity there. There's a unity there. So you need to ask, grace in what? And he answers this for us. He says, because uh, I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. Partakers of grace in what? Grace in what? The gospel. Grace that is displayed through the good news of the death, of the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and soon coming return of Christ. 
You see, ladies and gentlemen, when we live our lives and we give our lives for the purpose of that which we have, our lives have been redeemed for, we then discover a uniting grace that will never be performed or, 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 in, or, or, or structured by study or by sermon. There is no sermon that's going to come and bind us together. Now, there's a sermon that can preach the binding of, of us together, but if you have experienced the grace of God, there is a, there is a binding it's a binding that occurs when our lives are intertwined in the failures with together and in our successes together, in the imprisonment and in our freedom, in the defense and in the confirmation of the gospel. You see, when our lives find their source of truth and they find their source of identity in the good news of Jesus Christ, in a way that causes us now to proclaim the good news, there will always be unity. There will always be unity. So you see, as others try to manufacture external means of some sense of false unity, that's what our world is trying to do. Our world is trying to find unity in the midst of diversity. How are we going to find unity in the midst of diversity? It was the highest pursuit of philosophy. You have earth, wind, water, and fire. And when philosophy came in, they said, what's going to bring those four elements together? What's going to be the fifth essence? What is called the quintessence? What is going to be the quintessential thing that will bring them all together? What is going to bring these four things into one? We do it in our education. That's why we send children to a university. University, out of, the, out of the many studies, we have one. And by the way, when we remove theology from the, from the school, when we remove theology from the college, when we remove the theology from the university, it was the central thing that was meant to bring all of the other, all of the other studies together. And when you remove that, we are no longer sending our children anymore to universities. We are now sending them to pluriversities where you can go to the philosophy department and they'll teach you one thing, go to the psychology department, they'll teach you another, go to the biology department, they'll teach you another, God help you if you go to the religion department, they'll teach you a whole bunch of stuff, and then you walk away and you go, what, what, what is life all about? What are we, who are we and what are we to do? So as others try to manufacture external means of some sense of false unity, church, let our unity be formed in the very core of our hearts, by God's grace, through the good news, that we, as His children, have been redeemed, and then in that, we would live lives of obedience due to that redemption, and if we do that, our bonding will be from the inside out and not the outside in. It's not us trying to make people look like us and, 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 and do things that we do. It's the fact that God does the work in us so that in us we can now work out our, what he has called us to be and to do. That's where unity comes from. So we don't have to ask our worship leader or we don't have to ask our singers to come up here and, you know, create the environment where we can feel together. And we don't ask people to come or the pastors or the elders to come together and manufacture some event that's going to bring us together. We need an event to just be unified, to ju just kind of bring us together. You will notice that that's not what we do. I don't ask, I've never asked our worship leaders, hey, make us feel that. 
Why do you think our churches are all wrapped into that today? Because they get you in, and they, it's all about how I make you feel. It's all about coming in and saying, I want you to feel something. i gotta, I got to manufacture this up, because then that's where we're going to find our unity. We will never, if we find our unity in feelings, i got bad news for you, church. Tomorrow, all that unity is gone, because I'm going to feel different. But if, I have my, if our unity is grounded in God's grace... The fact that we have been saved by something that we don't deserve. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. We deserve death, and he's given us life. And if we are bound by that, and the fact that we all started at the foot of the cross, then by God, we find unity there. No. You see, church, when our hearts are encompassed by the gospel that is grounded in the grace of God, we will then have one another in our hearts and we will feel or think this way about one another. Now some of you may be sitting here and you're going, well that's the most contradictory thing I've ever heard. Aren't you having a family gathering tonight? And by the way, for all of those of you here who are joining with us, we are having a family gathering tonight. Burgers and dogs, we're going to play some games, we're going to have some fun good news for all of you there's no preaching there's no meeting it's just us getting together that's all it is it's just us getting together there will be a prayer i am going to pray before the meal but besides that and and many of you will be praying while we play the games because you're probably going to need physical prayer on that but uh, but hey it's just going to be a time of fun if you don't want to play you don't have to play you can sit and watch we're going to go outside we're going to have a great time we're going to have a great time so you're sitting here looking at me going, Pastor, didn't y'all kind of bring all this family gathering stuff together and now you're saying, don't misunderstand me here. I do think it's good to gather. But I want you to know, when we gather this evening, we are not gathering to manufacture unity. We are gathering to display and participate in the unity that we already have. If you think that tonight is going to bring about unity and manufacture that, you are off your rocker. As my grandmama used to say. I don't even know what that means, but she always used to tell me, Donnie, you're off your rocker. And I was like, I guess that's a bad thing. I'm off my rocker. Right? But we're not coming together tonight to manufacture that, but we are coming together tonight to display that, to show that, hey, we're, we are not bound by, by something that is metaphorical. We are bound by the very grace of God. And then Paul writes, for God is my witness. What is he doing here? You see, he's calling God as his witness to his motivations. Why would he do this? Because the truth is this. The absolute truth is this. Only God knows the inner thoughts of man. Now, you may think you know the inner thoughts of someone, but only God really knows the inner thoughts of someone. So what he's doing here is he's calling God to be his witness. And what is it that Paul is asking God to witness? His longing for them all with the affection of Christ Jesus. God is my witness that I long for you. Because I have nothing else. I don't have anything to show you. God, God has to be my witness here that I long for you. This longing, which means a desire or a pursuit. Paul will use this in chapter 2, verse 26. When he says, talking about Epaphroditus, and we'll get there in a few months, he says, because he was longing for you all. 
He was longing for you all. Not merely a longing to be with them. Notice that's not what he says. It's not a longing to be with them. But it's a longing for them. A longing described as being with affection. He says, for God is my witness how I long for you all with, that with, with the affection of Christ Jesus. This word for affection literally means bowels. Kind of weird, isn't it? Always plural. It means the depth of his being. The very core of who he is. It's not merely a physical affection. It's an affection described as an affection of Christ Jesus. You see, for Paul, Jesus was the source of the love the apostle displayed and the source of the love that the apostle declares to the Philippians. And what Paul is saying is, he says, I love you and I I desire you. And it's as though Jesus is going to love the Philippians through his love for Paul, and thereby Paul's love for the, Philippians, for the Philippians is going to be through Christ's love for himself. Isn't that good? That, that God would demonstrate his love to others, listen, by loving me. Because in his love for me, I can then love others. I am a walking testament, if you will. And and let me say this to all of you. Sometimes that testament is not a good testament, right? Sometimes I struggle loving some of you. (laughs) Don't, don't. Sometimes some of you struggle loving me, so let's, let's get it real, right? I mean, I'm not easy to love. Shay will tell you that all the time. I mean, I can be, I can be tough sometimes to love. I can be stubborn. I can be ignorant I can be all these I can be falling off my rocker hush I can be all these things right so I'm not saying it's perfect but I'm saying what what God is doing in us and through us it's he he is displaying his love to us so that through us we can display our love to others so as though I want to say it again Jesus is loving the Philippians through his love for Paul And thereby, Paul's love for the Philippians is through Christ himself. Now, I need you to stay with me here, because if not, we're going to be singing Kumbaya before the end of all this is over. But I need you to stay with me, because if we are not careful, we begin to read these things, and we, we separate the reality behind how Paul is writing, where Paul is writing, and we forget that this is not some, uh, some, um, idea that hey all is going good so Paul's able to love because everything's going great you ever met you ever met people like that I can love you as long as all things are going good trust me trust me trust your pastor here I have 100% experienced this when we're good when we're great when everything's on the up and up when everything seems to be good oh I love you I love you I love you but you let somebody call somebody out in sin or call somebody out and they go oh you don't love me no I do love you that's why I'm trying I'm no you don't love me no more oh wait hold on (laughs) hold on or have you ever had that group of friends you know that group of friends I think we've all had them at one point in our life man I would die for you and then you you get in trouble Bro, 
Ah. It's a short death. It was metaphorical. I'm not really dying for you, man. I'm not really going to do that. So before you sit back and you look at Paul and you say, hey, Paul, of course he can love. Paul's got it all together. Paul's in a Roman prison. Paul's sitting in a Roman prison. You think everything's going good for the man? He doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. He thinks he's going to live. He hopes he's going to live. But he doesn't know whether he's going to live and die in this Roman prison. And why, he, why is he in a Roman prison? For being faithful to the gospel in which he has just declared that I love you through. So get this, Paul is obedient to the word of God, doing what the word of God has called him to, finds himself in a Roman prison, and now he's writing back to them saying that I love you and I long for you with affection you see Paul the Apostle Paul often when I sit down with people he is often displayed as some rigid scholarly theologian but when you read his letters you don't get this yes Paul is thoroughly sound in doctrine but he is passionate in practice Often you discover that some of those with academically, uh, that are academically blessed are embarrassed by displays of affection. Well, you know, I know the definition of all the Greek, I mean, Hebrew. Can you love me? No, I can't love you. Love, love is, love is, that would be too hard. It's like they get, I don't know, I have a word in my head, but I can't say it. They just get up tight. Let me just say it like that. They get up tight. I'm not going to say it. I'm not. I know all you're going, what is he? I'm not going to say it. But there, you know, it's this idea that I'm so, I'm so smart that I can't care. And I, and I got to tell you, sometimes that's easy to do. You know, you get so, you get so mentally competent that you forget to become emotionally passionate. Paul didn't seem to have a problem with it, and I don't either. You see, for Paul, his emotions, his love, his compassion are all derived from the root of his theology of the gospel. Because the root of his theology of the gospel, whose source is what? God. And, and if we remember that God's own display of his love was on a cross, And it changes you that God didn't come to us as some uh, in the flesh through His Son Jesus as, as some, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, scholarly teacher where He's just going to sit up. Now, He was a teacher, but, that's, but He died on a cross so that we would be saved. He didn't, he didn't teach in a classroom. Please hear me, if you're a teacher in a classroom, I'm not saying that you're always like that. Because that's what people will do. They'll go out of here and go, oh, he just doesn't like teachers. I love teachers. <laughs> not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this, that God displayed his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I do want you to notice the simple repeated phrase, you all. Did you notice that? Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Uh, you all are partakers of Christ with me. How I long for you all with affection. 
So he's talking to the gathered at Philippi who are partakers of the grace of God with Paul. So that's the first thing. I want you to know Paul's affection. And in that, I want us to know that we can be affectionate towards one another. We can love one another. We can care for one another. We can desire to be with one another. That's not a bad thing, guys. But how often, how often do we have one another in our hearts? I don't know about you, but I do know this. I do know it's easy to get so busy in the things of life that I begin to use things to get people. I begin to use things to get people. And I begin to look at this from my life and I begin to, I begin to think through the process of how in the world do I allow these things to become so important to me? How do I allow them to become so important that I forget about the people that I'm supposed to be loving? So, what do such affections for a people you can't gather with do? Because Paul is in Rome. They're in Philippi. So what do, what, what do you do with people you can't gather with? What do you think you do? It results in what? Prayer. If I wasn't able to be here with you and I had deep affections to long and longing to be with you, how would I, how, what, 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 what can I do? Is pray. I'll never forget this. I, 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 one of the first times, times I became a pastor here at Pine Summit, it was within my first couple of years. I remember having a senior adult who has gone on to be with the Lord. And I'll never forget a senior adult at, uh, at East Brent who has gone on to be with the Lord. She was a precious, precious woman. She was about this big, and she was precious as all get out. And uh, I remember a senior adult coming here, and I was talking about this idea of being on mission. And I said, we need to be on mission. We need to go. We need to be about being on God's mission. And I remember her coming up to me, and she was very frail. Her body was uh, obviously um, not where it has been in the past. She had the desire to do those things, but she physically couldn't do those things. She seriously physically couldn't do it. She got up, and she would get winded. She just couldn't do that. And she goes, I can't participate in all these things. She was very frustrated. And her, the love, the compassion that she had, she wanted to be involved. So it wasn't, oh, let me, let me say this before I get, it wasn't this, I don't, I don't want to be involved, so I'm not going to be involved attitude. It was, I want to be involved, but I can't. I physically almost can't get out of my bed. And I said, you can be involved in the most important thing in this world. What does Paul do when he's not able to be with people? He prays. He prays for those who are able. So that if the day were to come where he's able to join them, then by God's grace he would join them. But obviously if he's physically unable to do that, then he would pray that God would do his work through his people. And this is exactly what you find Paul doing. So here what we're going to do in verses 9 through 11 is we're going to look at the petition of Paul. And I want you to notice that these three verses, 9 through 11, actually form only one sentence. And it's a prayer that is going to reveal more and more as we go. So when he says, and this I pray. Now you've got to remember that he's already said that he's praying for them. 
right? Verse 4, always offering prayer with my joy and my every prayer for you all. So we know he's praying. And, what do we, and you might have sat back and go, man, I wonder what Paul would be praying. Good news, he's about to tell us what he's praying. He says, in this I pray, are you ready? That your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. A prayer for ever-abounding love. I pray that we will just love one another. For in the supreme ethic of love, we are able to be grounded for what we are therefore called to do. Aren't we? You see, church, if you truly love one another, if we truly will love one another, then we will be about God's business. And we can disagree. You need to sit in an elders meeting every now and then. We disagree, but we love one another in the disagreement. We call one another to repentance, call one another to disbelief, if you don't believe it, try to be in my DNA. And for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, we have men who meet with men, women who meet with women. DNA is an acronym, discover the, nurture, discover, the, uh, discover the truth, nurture the heart, and act in love. That's the rhythm that they go through every week. They discover the truth of God's word, they nurture the heart through God's grace, and they act in obedience. DNA. You get in my DNA. Men that I dearly love, men that I care for. And it's because I love them that I will tell them the truth. And it makes sense, really, if you sit back and look at it. Jesus, when he was asked by a lawyer, if you remember this, what is the greatest commandment, what was his response? To love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor. Why? Because of out of love springs the reality of obedience. Ladies and gentlemen, we predominantly do what we love. Our love, our loves affects our behaviors. Our desires affects our doing. Now, we like to cop out a lot. We like to say, no, 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 that's not true. You do what you want to do. You do what you love to do. Don't cop out. You sit there and watch television for six hours a day. You are doing what you want to do. Nobody's holding you to it. Right? You love, you do what you love. And some of you have built habits based upon things that you love that is now creating expectations or even, even realities that you never wanted because sin never reveals to you the things that it's going to do to you ultimately in the end. And it's because you love something that now you find yourself habitually connected to it. We do what we love. And love affects our behaviors. And here Paul prays that the love of the Philippians may abound, which he's saying it may exceed. And then he adds this, more and more. You would think may abound would be enough, but then he says no, more and more. He is, he is emphasizing something here, is he not? I think this is why, I haven't written this, but I'm thinking. I think this is why Paul said in Galatians, Remember when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and he said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, all, uh, peace, patience, goodness, all those. Remember that? 
And then he says, right after that, he says what? He says, against such things, there is no what? Law. Because the more our love abounds, we don't need the law to dictate the way we as Christians love one another. May it abound. May it abound. The problem in our day is I say something like that and then we have a, a, a certain contingency in this country and in this world that then begins to say, see, love wins. Well, wait, hold on just a second. Love is defined by someone and something. So you don't get to define love. I don't get to define love. We don't get to come and create our own definition of love and then say, okay, you see, this is what the Bible means. No, 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 no. Love is displayed by that which is good. And that which is good is displayed by who God is. God, who God is, tells us what good is. What good is tells us what love is. So we don't get to come in and tell us what whatever love is. As a matter of fact, God already told us that. He's already written that. Paul will clarify that for us in Corinthians. Uh, then he adds more and more. It's not that we are, and by the way, it's not that the, the, the Philippians were deficient in their love for one another. That's not what he's saying. He is going to the idea here that their love, they may continue to grow. And that's often what I do in here. And I, and I have to come back oftentimes. And I don't know if y'all know this, but the worst day for a pastor is Monday. The worst day. Why? Because oftentimes you either have to hear your sermon or you have to remember the things you just preached. And you just go, man, I just totally botched that. You know, and blah, 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 blah. You go through all the things that you go through. You know, you get told all the things you did wrong, all the things you did right, and then you have to fight it, fight the spiritual fight that goes on in the mind and the heart of a pastor. And you come to these things, and oftentimes I, I come to you guys and I say, hey, we can do this, we can do this, and then I, 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 I experience this, I don't know, I, I would say a little bit of guilt, that, hey man, you just pushed them too hard, you know, you're not sharing with them enough of this, you're not helping them, and that's not my case, my case is what Paul is doing, it's not I'm saying you're def we are deficient in love, I think we love very well here at Pine Summit, I, th I do, listen to me, I do. We, I, I listen to other pastors. We love well here at Pine Summit. We haven't always. We haven't always, but we love well here at Pine Summit. So what I'm saying is, is not a deficiency of what we have. I'm saying let's not grow stagnant and go down in what we have. Let's build on it. Let's grow. It's like missions. I'm not saying that what we're doing is pathetic or bad. What I'm trying to get us to do is to say, hey, we can do this better. We can become more excellent. I'm not saying that we don't pray. I'm saying that we can obviously pray better. I don't know about you, but that's greatly helpful for me. It's not that I don't love any of you, all of you. It's that I can always love you better. It's not that I don't pray for you. It's that I can pray for you. Are you understanding what I'm saying here? And that's what Paul is saying. But there is an idea here that that, that he would, he, they would continue to grow. But Paul will tell the Thessalonians this, and I think this provides us even greater instruction and greater depth for my heart as I look at this. In 1 Thessalonians, if you want to, you can turn there with me. We're going to chapter 3, verse 12. So he has just got done telling them, and the Philippians, I pray that your love may abound still more and more. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, he is writing to the Thessalonians. We can go to verse 11 for context. 
And he says, Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. Watch verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. Did you see that? And I think that's, that's it. That we are to love one another, that the Lord would cause us to love one another. God, that's my prayer. God, would you help us to love one another better? Would you be the source of our love for one another? Would you be the reason for our love? Because the reason for our love is going to be grounded in the grace that we have just spoken to. So God, would you cause us to increase in our love for one another? A love that is manifested to us by God through the death of his son, Jesus. A love that is revealed to us in the apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So I think, I think this is what Paul is getting at. He is getting at here that, that, that you would love one another, that God in, in Christ would, by his grace, would cause us to have this love for one another. And for those of us who are in him, we'd constantly seek to love one another in and through him. So returning to Philippians here, Paul prays that their love that is given by God may continue to abound in real knowledge and all discernment. Did you see that? In real knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge here, epigenosis, which is not a knowledge about something. It's a knowledge that comes from the experience of something. Did you see? So it's a love. He is asking God, Christ, that our love may abound more and more in real knowledge, in real experiential awareness, real experience with one another, that we would really truly experience love with one another. And then the second word is the word for discernment. The word discernment and all discernment. And this is a word that is used only here in the New Testament. And it, this word is akin to a moral understanding from experience. So that in, mor in moral, in living with one another in a way that is morally good, morally right. So here he's saying this is a love that abounds through experience of a moral knowledge. Paul would pray for the Colossians in chapter 1 verse 9. He would say that the Colossians may be, here it is, filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I think that's a similar idea here. Filled, filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So again, it builds. He prays for their love to grow, to abound in an experience of knowledge that is true and good and beautiful. So that, here's the purpose phrase, right? He says that, so that, verse 10, and he's going to give us two reasons because there's an and. So the first reason he gives is the immediate or what we would call the temporal and the second would be a future or what we would call an eternal. So the immediate reason for this is so that you approve of the things that are excellence. Now, this helps us with this idea of discernment, right? For a love that is experienced and discerning will always be able to properly assess the things that are excellent, the things that are best, 
or to understand the things that really matter and to understand the things that really don't. This is his prayer. And as we tarry, as God's grace continues to allow us to be here and to be present, we as a faith family are to come together and to love one another. We are to approve, which means to test, to examine, or to analyze the things that are excellent. So that's the immediate purpose. The immediate purpose of this prayer to love one another is so that we are able to test that which is right, which is good, which is beautiful, which is excellent. And the second purpose, it leads us to our ultimate purpose, right? In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. To be sincere is to be without mixed motives in relationship to living life on life, life on mission, life life in community. The word for blameless is not the word used, by the way, here to express behavior without fault. That means that you are not to do anything without fault. That's not what it's saying. Are you to be perfect? That's not what it's saying. The word blameless here means to not offend or cause others to stumble. That we would live lives that wouldn't cause one another to stumble. So here it is. Your love, our love for one another, is to exceed, to grow... And real experience, real knowledge, real knowledgeable experience, real wisdom, real insight, so that we, together as a community of people, can examine that which is best or excellent until the day of Christ's coming, until that, what was called the parasua, the second coming of Christ. So that you will be genuine and sincere, so that you are not fake, and you will not live in a way that would cause others around you to stumble. Isn't that good? I am praying this. That we wouldn't have to live lives of fake, of, of hypocrisy. That we would truly love one another and love people. And because we have experienced that love together, we are then now able to produce that love to others until the day of the coming of Christ when we will stand before Him. One commentator writes, Paul's, quote, aim was so Philippians would not only reach the final day, but also be pleasing to God on the occasion, unquote. That is so good. Because sometimes people get so eternally minded that they're no temporally good. Y'all know what I'm saying? They get so, ba- so, so wrapped up in eschatology that they miss ecclesiology. For those of you who don't know what that means, they can't wait for Jesus to come so bad, that they, they, but they ain't living like it right now. Is that, is that Southern enough? You know, they all about singing, uh, come Jesus, come. And then they walk out of these doors and act like Jesus ain't coming. Or, the, or, or those who get so temporally minded that they don't even think Jesus is coming. They live as though, you know, this world around them is living in a way that, hey, um, I can live however I want to live, do whatever I want to do. Uh, Jesus isn't coming, and, and we get so mixed up. We've got, to, we've got to take both of these, and we hold both of them in this, in this tension. The reality that if Jesus, listen to me, listen to my words very carefully, if Jesus were coming tomorrow, I would want him catching me being obedient. I would want him catching me do that. But if Jesus delays for the next 5,000 years, 
I would be okay with that too because I'm going to live in accordance with the reality that Jesus is going to, I'm going to have to stand before him on the day of my death. So whether he comes now or whether he tarries, I am going to live according to his will and his aims. So on one side is Paul's desire for them to be pure and blameless, but on the other it is being filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus. Right? So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Here it is, verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ I want you to notice here that righteousness describes the fruit did y'all understand that so watch righteousness describes the fruit and it describes that which comes through Christ modifies the fruit as well so righteousness is describing the fruit. It's an of phrase, of righteousness, describing the food, fruit, which comes through Jesus Christ is also the fruit, the fruit that comes through Jesus Christ. So here we are, we're talking about this fruit. Paul will say this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. He will say, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. You see, it's a harvest fruit, right? I'm using, I'm using words here that have to do with um, fruit bearing. It's a harvest that is given and produced by Jesus to those who are in Jesus. And here, Paul's emphasis in not, is not in this passage on how one comes to be related to God. Very careful, very important. In this passage, he is not telling us how we come to be related to God. What he is saying, he is saying that this is a passage that is describing the behavior or fruit of those who are already related to God. A people who will work out their salvation with, with fear and trembling and not a people who will work out their salvation with pompous arrogance to think in some way, shape, or form that they have anything to give. You see, church, when one who has been redeemed by Christ is filled with the Spirit of Christ so that on the day of Christ, God would be praised and glorified. Did you notice that? Into the glory and praise of God. All of this, all that he's praying is that you would be able to do these things all to the glory and praise of God. Of God. You see, it's not just a right relationship with God. It's a fruitful abiding through Jesus to the end of the glory and praise of our God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And do you notice? Did you notice the rhythm? What starts in a prayer ends in a praise. Paul concludes his entire thanksgiving for the Philippians on the divine basis on which it began and for whose and which purposes it was consummated. God's saving work in Jesus among the Philippians was to reflect in God being glorified, which God will perfect in us as well. Do you remember verse 6? 
for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. You see, Paul's purpose of prayer is the purpose of our lives to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Paul is telling them, I love you with an affectionate love. I have you in my heart as we experience whatever it may be together. And as long as for you I pray, and as I long for you, excuse me, I pray that you will become Christ-like to the praise and glory of God. And this is all in the answer to Jesus when he said in John 15, 8, what did he say? My Father glorified you, is glorified that you bear much fruit. You see, God makes us fruitful for his glory, which is the word doxa, D-O-X-A, which is the total of God's perfection and praise and the declaration given to God for that perfection. We are glorifying God because he is good. He is great, He is glorious, and He is gracious. One pastor would write this. He would say, quote, And so the love of God poured in our hearts, abounding in insightful knowledge of His Word, causes us to pursue excellence with spiritual integrity, which generates a life of power through Christ that produces good works which redound to God's glory as a redeeming, transforming God worthy of eternal praise. That's the sum of it all. This is the prayer. This is the prayer of your elders here at Pine Summit. That we wouldn't be so easily entrapped by the false reality of what it means to be his people, but that our lives would be a reflection of the work of Christ in us for his good pleasure. Church, Pine Summit, can I, can I tell you that I pray that our love may abound more and more, that our love may grow for one another, not, not fake, but I mean real, that we would experience it together. We would know in this place that we are loved and that when people would come and be a part of us, they would say, man, y'all really do love one another. Y'all are weird. You're off your rocker. But y'all love one another. And that we would be discerning in what is true and what is good and what is beautiful and what is excellent so that we may approve those things that are excellent, so that we may look at excellence and go, that is good. Have you ever been around people who can't celebrate goodness in others? They become so jealous, so backbiting, so ugly, so nasty. You ever been in churches like that? I mean, places like that? God gives somebody the talent to sing and... No, they can sing to God be the glory. That we would want to approve that which is excellent. That we would, in that day when we stand before God, that we would be sincere and blameless, that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. Oh my God, that is my prayer for you. And I mean that. I mean that with all biblical sincerity. That is, my God, that is my prayer for these people. That we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus. And that because of that, all the glory 
and all the praise would go to our great God and King. Wouldn't that be good? Will you please stand to your feet as we respond to God's Word? If you're in here in this moment and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, our heart's call is to call you to His family. That He adopts those who are lost and broken and sinful. Would you trust in Him? Would you believe in Him as your Lord and Savior? Would you trust in the fact that Christ died the death that you deserve to die, lived the life that you couldn't live? He loves you. And He loves you. And how did He prove His love for you? And that while you were yet sinners, He died for you. He died on a cross, demonstrating not only His rightful wrath, but also His unbelievably gracious love. Would you come to know Him? Would you place your faith in Him and follow Him for the rest of your life? Would you, would you believe in Him as your Lord and your King and your Savior? If you would do that, then I would call you to repentance and faith and repent of your sin, repenting of falling away from God, and I would call you to be baptized, which means to trust in Christ and then to follow through, to have faith in Him, to believe in Him, and then follow through by being obedient to Him and saying, wait, What's the one thing that God has called us to do? We know He has. That is to be baptized. That is to be baptizo, to be dunked beneath the water and to be brought back up, to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And if you would do that, we would, we would be more than, we would celebrate that excellence, yes? And come, join. Be a, maybe you're not a part of a faith family anywhere. And you want to be a part of a faith family. We would love to be a part of your, we'd be a part of your life. Come join us. For those of you who are unbelievers, we ask that you would trust and believe and be baptized. For those of you who are believers, unbelievers realize at this moment that if you still choose to push away from the table, that is your choice. That if you choose not to participate, that is absolutely your choice. We would never want to do to you what only God can do for you. But in that, we do say that this next part that we are about to participate in is only for those of us who call Him Lord and Savior. You're more than welcome to walk up to the table and to watch what we do, but we ask that you not participate in the elements. Because what we are about to do, for those of you who are gathering with us, we are about to participate in the Lord's Supper. And it is the Lord's Supper. So for those of us who call Him Lord, we will participate in this supper. We have pulled up to the chair, if you will, of His dining room table. It's a great dining room. And we're going to pull up and we're going to feast. We're going to feast on these elements. And these elements, because in these messages, when, when the Word of God's preached, then oftentimes we are reminded of what places that we've not done what we should have done or we've done what we shouldn't have done. And we come into this and we don't leave this place with guilt, shame, and fear. That's what sin does. We leave this place understanding what He has done to us and for us in His death, burial, resurrection. And then we come and we place these elements in our mouth to remind us in a special way to remind us of the fact that we are redeemed and forgiven people and that therefore we are now to go and to live the life that He has called us to live. That's what we are going to do. Even if you're not a believer, as long as if you're a believer and you're in good standing with your church, which means you're not under church discipline, we ask and we, uh, we would invite you to come and to participate in these elements with us. We leave out, we come up to the tables, and then we walk in and come back to our seats. And just hold your elements and we're going to participate together as a family, just like we would in a family meal. Yes, it is. So before we do that, what we want to just spend a moment in, we don't want to come to this table in an unworthy manner, according to the Apostle Paul. So what we want to do is we're just going to spend a little bit of time in quiet, in silence. I know we're not used to that. It's okay. But we want to spend a little bit of time in silence before our great God and King.
where he has convicted us of our sin, that we would confess our sin, that maybe there's somebody in here that we need to ask for forgiveness of, that we would go and, and, and do that in this very moment, that we would love one another, and that as we then are able to participate in this supper, reminding us that we are forgiven by God through his son Jesus. So church, and those of you who are believers with us, would you please pray, asking God, repenting of our sin, asking God to forgive us so that we may come and participate in his supper together. Let us pray. Father, would you do your work in us? Would you increase our love for one another? Help us to see you for who you are. Help us to realize that we were loved by grace through faith. And that God, out of that, may we love those around us better. Help us to grow in your likeness. Help us to be your people. Forgive us, dear Jesus, where we have failed. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. May we walk out of this place worshiping, glorifying, and praising our God and Father through the Son, empowered by the Spirit. And may we make you known. For it's in Christ's name and for his sake we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.